Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. This week's guest is a bit different from our normal Dubai Works guest. It's a futurist, someone who has a personal brand, a strategist, but it's a business and Dubai can accommodate and has all sorts of businesses. Um, sometimes we don't identify influencers or creators as having their own businesses. This is someone who uh, has a business and a brand around businesses and strategy and consultancy, but also has published over five books, or the sixth one coming out soon. It's a fascinating conversation. We'll go into detail about many different topics, uh, but it also gives an insight into how someone can practice this line of work and this line of thinking uh, in Dubai, which is obviously a real futuristic uh, city. And there's been so many things of late that kind of led us, lead us into being confident in the future uh, of work here and the future of, of our lives and society in the UAE. So it's a timely conversation and one I thoroughly enjoyed. Welcome back to Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, our guest is John Sané, a business strategist and speaker. He's a futurist who combines human behavior and studies to create keynotes, masterclasses, and books that help people, businesses, governments and brands build uh, the courage and clarity they need to forge the future they want. So on today's show, we're going to talk about the work that he does in Dubai particularly, and also we're going to look at the future. We're going to look at the future of work and the future of um, technology and how it's impacting the workplace, but also uh, education. Uh, so welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I know you've been on Smashy before, but this is the first time I get to sit down and speak to you. So thanks for coming. My absolute pleasure. Uh, so yeah, tell us a little bit, a bit more um, about the work that you do. So I started off uh, thinking about the future, speaking about the future, and uh, was very excited about sharing all the latest stories about the future. But slowly but surely started to realize that many organizations and governments that are shared the stories about the future about never changed their behavior. And they carried on doing what they always did. Hmm. And so I started really integrating more human psychology, organizational structuring into my work. And now what I do is I write, speak, and run workshops and masterclasses around the combination and symbiosis of human psychology, human consciousness, mm. and the future. With, with the purpose of, rather than telling people, advising them how they should do, but actually helping them implement those ideas. The, the thing is, is as human beings, we don't like change. And so the real blockage to shifting our perspective and our behavior is our own mental blocks. Mm. And so for me to unpack those for executives is really key because they don't even know what's holding them back. Mm. And so this combination has really seen me become quite successful in my field because most futurists, this speak about the future. And mm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but ultimately you want people to change behavior mm. and that's the tough part. And so that's what my sort of niche is. But basically, John, you know, you are what we would call a personal brand. You right. are a futurist right. and there's businesses around that, isn't yes. there? Like you've written many books. Yes. You do. Is that how you, you know, you set about structuring your business? Do you say, do you look at it as a personal brand? Um, do you look at the services and the areas 
Uh, do you have a business plan? Is, uh, do you look at it in that detail or do you, do you kind of um, assess the opportunities that come along and do the work that you'd like to do? Uh, it's a good question. You know, I, I, um, I'm very focused on my mission and the mission is to create more optimistic humans and organizations by invoking their innate intelligence. Mm. And we all have an innate intelligence. And often what we do is we use it to be defensive and protective rather than excited and adventurous. Mm. And so my job at every touch point, whether it's writing books, doing talks, doing online courses, masterclass, whatever it is, is how do I invoke that optimism within you so that you and me together can build a better future? Mm. Because ultimately the future is not a place that we're going to. It's something we're creating along the way. And if we think about the quantum science research that we're starting to realize and hear about and really start to engage with, which is very recent in many years, okay. we start to realize that reality is subjective, not objective. Mm. It's an echo of our internal dialogues, our actions and our behaviors. And we often don't want to take that responsibility because we like to blame. We like to sit in a state of victim mm. and we don't even realize we're doing it often. You okay. know, it's really about bringing awareness to that and then realizing that we have an incredible privilege of choice mm. and responsibility to build the future we want. Okay. So fascinating. So, you know, if I, as a business leader, uh, went along with what you were saying and believed that I could, I would like that of the individuals in this company, I could think that I could do it myself or I could work with, uh, a, a type of, um, a coaching company. Uh, but you're neither, you're not me and you're not a coaching company. You're John Sane. Yes. So, um, and, you know, that's why I kind of phrased it in that way, because, you know, in, in the UAE, we've been lucky enough to attract international speakers and mm -hmm. we, we're, we understand we're familiar with the personal brands in terms of uh, how it can help motivate and help impact our, our companies and the governments, yes. right? The, the UAE has <clears throat> brought many famous people over for world government summits and things like that. We've had Tony Robbins here. Yes. We've had Gary Vaynerchuk here, yes. things like that. And they pioneered this as a, as a, as a way of, you know, following a mission, mm. you know, I, I finished a 17 hour audio book from Tony Robbins last week right. on master money, money master right. of the game, not something typically he's good at, but it's part of his mission. Right. Yes. So do you consciously, and it doesn't need to be something that you kind of go, Hey, I don't really like saying that, but do you consciously go, well, th this, this is something that, you know, we don't have many practitioners in the UAE and there's almost a benefit of doing it on my own rather than as a coaching company per se? Well, you know, coaching company for me uh, takes me away from working on strategy. Okay. And, you know, coaching is a very time-consuming process. Okay. And I'd rather work with major groups of people or executives to be able to lead them as a group into the future. Mm. I also think coaching requires a very specific type of personality. And I don't know if I've got that personality. I've tried a few times and I think, I, not I think, I know, I get impatient. And coaches can't be impatient. You know, you've got to lead the person to find the answer themselves. And I'm much better at guiding and storytelling than I am at leading you to your 
purpose, but as an organizational purpose, I can definitely help you. I can show you the blockages that you have. So the personal brand is important because a personal brand builds trust with people so that they can engage with you and bring you in to help them devise a strategy for the future. So developing that that the personal brand is a priority for me, but mostly because I want to build trust with organizations and governments so they can work with me because my intention is really to add the value to them to become even better than okay. what they're doing. Interesting. And, and what's your background? Where, where are you from and what did you study and when did you get into this field? So I never studied. <laughs> I, uh, I come from a single mom family and I was a young entrepreneur from 13 years old because wow. I had no pocket money. Mm. So really it, it was self-taught at every level. Um, not having a dad also guiding me also added to the fact that I was out in the wilderness by my own. My poor mm. mom was just working all the time trying to defend or fend for my brother and I. Mm. So it's everything's been self-taught. I became very successful in business in my 20s. I was a multimillionaire and had many businesses uh, wow. around South Africa. And then I went bankrupt at 31. And, what type of businesses were they? Uh, retail, restaurants, vending machines, shoe distribution businesses, a whole range of different Real things. Real entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah, I was just, every time I saw something cool, I wanted to represent it in South Africa or open up an option for people to experience it. Mm. And so it was business agnostic or sector agnostic. It was just trying to add that sort of cool factor or, or wow factor into that sector. How did you go from <clears> a millionaire <throat> in your 20s to bankrupt in your early 30s? I wish I knew. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, uh, and if we think about it, high levels of testosterone and lots of money is a very dangerous combination. You mm. think you're bulletproof. You think you can't do anything wrong. And especially not having a guide, a father, a mentor, uh, somebody helping you. And so everything was on my own. I was making decisions on my own. <clears throat> and as I'm very good at certain things, I'm very bad at certain things. And mm. the things that I'm bad at is reading contracts. And I never thought that anybody was malicious enough to try and aim at like seeing my demise, but there are some people out there that are, that are willing to do that for their mm. own profitability and gain. And so my optimism and, uh, pure intention, I thought that everybody had that. And I learned very quickly that they didn't. So mm. I just didn't read every contract that I should have. I stretched myself too far and too thin and just thought I was invincible mm. and got taught the biggest lesson of my life that, uh, I had to recalibrate my myself, my business, my psychology, understanding what had gone wrong. And as a boy, and I say that as a boy, because many men are just boys in men's bodies, I had to reinvent myself. And it was a really, really tough thing because I attached my success to my businesses and my cars and my watches and my houses. And when that got taken away, I didn't know who I was. And so it took me a few years to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But when I popped out on the other side, I'd become quite a specialist in psychology just from my own sort of drive to figure out what had happened to me. Mm. And people were listening to when I was speaking, speaking about psychology. And I was quite surprised by that because I'd just been learning it voraciously myself to figure myself out. And okay. uh, I've always been an early adopter. So I just combined early adoption, trends, futurism, and psychology just as a methodology that I had created to help people and help businesses. And now I do it with governments and organizations around the world. Amazing. Um, but it's quite early, you know, people say you can, it's a good decade to make mistakes and to learn in your twenties. Mine was in my thirties. My twenties were hugely successful. Yeah. And, um, but then I, I think you have to have a decade somewhere that you're learning, right? Some people did in their twenties, some people did in their forties or fifties. You know, I don't think there's any specific timing. Yeah. I think we wild when we're twenties, we think we're invincible. And I think the most dangerous age in the world is when you're 28, 29 and you think you've got everything figured out. You're like, 
what's everybody complaining about? It's amazing. <laughs> I'm so good at everything. And then for me, it was the demise in my 30s. So, yeah. but since I've turned 40, I'm 47 now. And since I've turned 40, you know, I'm writing books and uh, doing talks around the world. It's just been fantastic. You know, I've really yeah. rediscovered myself around that. But, but you can also learn while you're successful as well. And then, but you reflected afterwards. And um, is that something, you know, the mistakes that you made in terms of maybe attention to detail on contracts and things like that. Do you look at it specifically or did you look at more from a, a psychology point of view of what your motivations were and and your purpose? And I think you kind of didn't use the word, but you, you, you had an identity that you thought was yours and was you. And that was of maybe of assets and things like that? It's a great question because I have, I think it's got nothing to do with reading a contract better. I think it's got to do with the energy you arrive with, right? Okay. And uh, in my second book, I started off with a line that says, are you running away from the darkness or are you running towards the light? And from the outside, the person looks exactly the same. They goal okay. orientated, they're driven, they're ambitious, but one is driven by fear and one is driven by excitement. Mm. One is driven by ex anxiousness and other one is driven by developing and building towards something. And I didn't realize I was running away from poverty. I, was, I wasn't building anything. I just needed more acknowledgement and safety. And because of that, and be very clear that whatever you're running away from catches you. And so I didn't know this, you know? And so poverty caught me. Yeah. And so I wasn't building, I was running away. And that energy in itself is a desperate energy, is a anxious energy. And so what do you do? You attract abuse, you attract uh, maliciousness. But if you're building towards something and you're excited and you're pure intended and you want everybody to win with you, you often don't attract those people that are malicious towards you. So I'm very clear that I attracted those abusive people around me because of my internal dialogue. And so the whole idea of psychology and consciousness that I've been really integrating and cultivating for the last sort of 15 years since my bankruptcy has shown me that pure intent and building with excitement and curiosity and fascination brings the right people around you. Mm -hmm. And then you're in a state of optimism and flexibility and looking forward to a better future together. Interesting. That's quite deep. <laughs> well, I think we have to go deep because yeah. I think that no matter how successful you are, if you're not doing it to the right intention, your third Ferrari is as empty as anything. Hmm. Your 15th Rolex is a joke. It just doesn't matter anymore. And especially, and I'm, look, I'm a man, so I don't know, I can't speak for a woman, but especially as a man post 40, you get your soul asking you some deep questions because like, what are you doing here? And what are you, are you just here to accumulate? And that's really empty. Like, mm. what's the point of that? Are you here to build and add value? You have to ask yourself deeper questions. Mm. And this is what we're here to do, not mm. just accumulate, but add value in real, real ways. That's amazing. I, yeah, I can really, you know, relate to and understand when you articulated like that in terms of, um, well, it's self-awareness, first of, of all. Of course. And then uh, how you said about running away for something because you can understand your background and your upbringing. Um, and, uh, but I guess, uh, you know, you, you come across really articulate now for someone that, not that you have to study to be articulate, but how, how all of a sudden from an entrepreneur do you get into book writing and things that require different yes. types of Academic, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I think especially in, in the Middle East, education counts for so much. 
And we're going to talk about the future of education and sure. I'll show you how irrelevant it is moving yeah. forward. Obviously you want your doctor to be educated, but there's certain skills that you don't need education for. And you know, my friends at school are as amazed as you and I are that I write books because I was useless at school. You know? <laughs> and it's not that I was useless at school. I wasn't interested in what was going on. There. Yeah. And now I'm interested. Okay. And when you're interested in something, your superpower kicks in. You can do whatever you never thought you could because you've clicked into your genius. Now, the Romans always said that we all have a pocket of genii above mm. us mm. and our job becomes one to access it. And once you access it, you have a different set of powers available to you. Mm. So you ask me to write about anything besides my subjects, I can't even get three lines out because that's just not where my passion lies. Mm. But many people say to me, John, how do you get up and do 90 minutes talk in front of so many people? I could never do that. Mm. And I always ask them, what is something that makes you most excited? And they'll say gardening, or you could say to me, Iron Man, you know? And I'll say, well, can you talk about Iron Man for 90 minutes? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I can do that. I said, well, that's what I speak about when I'm on stage. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking about what I'm really passionate and excited about so when you find what you're really excited about which i think is the most important thing we can do in life you become who you're truly supposed to be and then you access this incredible amount of information about it i like that genie i think our company is named after a roman emperor as yes. you know and one of our values not related is ingenuity it's yes. you know and it helps with diversity it helps with believing that everyone has got a bit of genius yes. in them and and things like that so i like that but you know, talking about the books, can you just tell us a little bit about the topics of the books or the yes. titles and, sure. and, a, and the substance of them? So five books so far. The first book is called What's Your Moonshot? It's about asking the question of how big, how bold and how courageous are your questions for the future? How big are you thinking? Mm. And the book is broken up into psychology and futurism. Okay. The second book is called Magnetize, which is asking you how elegant, how conscious and how deliberate are your questions about the future? Because I think that many business people are short-term focused, not long-term focused, not elegant in the way they're going about doing businesses. And when I wrote this book, there wasn't this sort of idea about B Corps. And I don't know if you've seen, but there's like 200 top CEOs in America that are wanting to change the rules from shareholder focus to stakeholder focus, where you're prioritizing employees, society, then shareholders, and then consumers, whereas right now it's just shareholders, mm. which doesn't make sense in the long run, really. Mm. The third book is called foresight which is about finding the invisible dots that you and only you can connect because this is the currency of the future we have been celebrated for fitting in and in the future we'll be celebrated for fitting out and this will become the future of focus for work and for education mm. my fourth book was called future next which has got the same cover as your sort of augustus uh, on it i've also got augustus or i think i've got david on there actually yeah uh, yeah and uh, and that book is about reimagining our future because i wrote this during COVID. And I think many people were desperate to go back to the comfort zones of life pre-COVID. And I wrote the book to say, stop trying to go back, try and reimagine where we can go rather than holding on to some sort of familiarity because mm. that's never coming back. Mm. My new book coming out now, the fifth one is called, Who Do We Become? And it's about the three phases of transformation. Mm. And all transformations, no matter how small or how big they are, always have three phases. Sadness is the first phase because you have to leave the shore of familiarity, the identity that you've once created. And then you move into strangeness, which is the wilderness of nothing that makes sense. Nothing is of momentum. Nothing is what it used to be. Mm. And then the third phase is adventure, where we start to move towards more momentum. And the, where the world is right now is sad and strange. 
Sad that we've left the world that we once knew. Sad that we've lost some people along the way through COVID. Sad that many businesses are not working like they used to. Sad that the dollar is imploding. Education doesn't mean what it used to. Many things that we once trusted aren't around anymore. Mm. And we start to move into a world of strangeness where pictures of apes are being sold for $80 million. And you think to yourself, what? And this is only the beginning of the strangeness. And okay. so the book is really about asking ourselves, who do we become through this process of transformation? Amazing. And again, how you packaged it and articulated it is really well and concise. Uh, and thanks for sharing. But, you know, are you, are you so, sort of like um, someone who has a um, material and then uses that material as part of their workshops? Um, you know, do you, your work with governments and organizations, is that something that, is has correlates with what you've written recently or so i write a book every year because it forces me to keep on the cutting edge of information mm. i have to fill forty thousand words which starts off with sixty thousand words and gets chiseled down to forty thousand words so when i make a commitment with my publisher to hand in a book on the first of june i have made a commitment to myself to listen to everything that i listen to and read twice or even three times because now I'm not only just listening for myself, I'm listening to integrate, digest, and then put out and curate into a book. Mm. So everything I listen to is just doubled up. Yeah. And so the writing the books keeps my content fresh, keeps me continuously searching for the latest and the greatest. And so that I can bring that content into organizations and governments when I'm doing the strategy sessions and talks. Okay. Mm. Fascinating. It's almost like a comedian who comes up, like a lot of people have COVID material. Yes. I think you've moved on already from that, yes. but, and then they'll use that for a while. But, yes. um, so, so does that mean that, you know, the work that you do isn't sort of, uh, you, you know, it's related to latest trends, but also potentially related to the different dynamics of the organization rather than working from a particular, uh, process or, a, 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 um, what's the right word, uh, you know, a, a set of steps that you think applies to all organizations. So understand one thing is that nobody can give any organization a solution for the future. And what I always tell organizations who want me to come and tell them what is the future look like? I say to them, what you should be doing is building a system within your organization that figures out the future as it changes. Mm. Because whatever I tell you now could change in three months. And then mm. what? You've built an organization that's building on a structure and a strategy that's a year long or two years long. And then all of a sudden blockchain arrives or an app called WhatsApp arrives and disrupts all telcos around the world. Like mm. you, nobody, those you don't know, nobody knows, you know, no matter how good you are, you can't judge those things and where they're coming from. So my work revolves around developing today and tomorrow teams. Yeah. And I say to all organizations, no matter how big or how small, is you have a today team that worries about making your current business model more efficient, um, more modified, and just better and mm -hmm. working. But you need a tomorrow team that's building businesses based on where we're going and not where we were, mm -hmm. and not based on legacy thinking, based on new capabilities and new ideas in a mm -hmm. process of experimentation, in a process of economies of learning, not economies of scale. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. Zara versus Xi'an. Have you heard of Xi'an? Yeah. Okay. So- Zara is a fantastic business based on economies of scale. They have to make sure that their profitability is high and their costs are low over the year period so that they are creating a profitable business. This is normal. This is what we've been doing for 200 years. But then arrives Xi'an. Xi'an has got built a business based on economies of learning. It's a brand new business model. And so what they do is they don't make one piece of clothing until you've ordered it. 
Mm. They're learning before they've even made anything. Mm. So what they are really is not even a clothing business. They are a data management business. Mm. And they scrape the internet for the clothes that have been shared and liked the most. They then make or computer generate 10 versions of that piece of clothing in 20 different colors. Put it on their website. They add 10,000 new styles to the website a day. Zara adds 10,000 new styles to their system a year. Mm. And so what they do before you've even ordered anything, they've got them all up on site. When you place an order, they outsource it to somebody to make it for you. Wow. You can get a t-shirt that Zara sells you for 50 to 70% cheaper from Shein. Okay. Why? No retail stores, no retail staff, no major warehousing, none of that, direct to consumer. Mm. So now you have a business that's done $10 billion last year, whereas many other clothing stores have actually lost money. These guys are growing, all based on a business model that's brand new. Amazing. And so why didn't Zara come up with this? Mm. And so the reason is that Zara's only got today teams. They don't have tomorrow teams. They're still stuck on legacy thinking, even though they were the poster child of fast fashion just six, seven years ago. And all of a sudden they are dated. And all of a sudden now there's this new kid on the block. So my, my, my appeal to all organizations and governments is stop looking for solutions. Build systems that allow the experimentation of forging the future they want based on a tomorrow team that's not linked to your today team. Um, brilliant. But, uh, you know, two teams, there's two departments, there's double head cast. Can the today team and the tomorrow team be the same thing? No. Why? Because you can't make last year innovate in last year's business model innovative and plant seeds for tomorrow. You have a different capability need. I'll give you an example. Japan Airlines wanted to understand what the future of travel was. Now, if anybody had to go and ask the Japanese existing staff members, the engineers, the pilots, the air hostesses, and everybody at head office, what do you think better flying is all about? What would you say? Easier check-ins, better meals, better seats. I don't know, you know, normal stuff. But that's not what the future of flying is about. That's not what the future of travel is about. Mm. And so what they did is they made a $70 million fund. They run a competition called a prize X prize. And they, they gave the prize to a business called limitless travel. What is limitless travel? Limitless travel is these humanoid robots that are around the world that you can put a pair of goggles on, a haptic suit, and you can take over the body of this robot and you can walk down the Champs-Élysées without ever leaving your house. And you can hear what's going on in the Champs-Élysées. You can see what's going on. You can feel what's going on. You can't smell or taste yet, but that's just around the corner. Mm. Now, let me ask you, would a Japan Airlines existing staff come up with tomorrow's travel? No, because they've got legacy thinking. Yeah. So you have to have complete different teams. And so, yes, there's double headcounts, but welcome to the future. I mean, wh- wh- you want to carry on doing what you've always done and have the same result? I mean, that's can't. You can't do that. But you said invent systems that work, you know, we're a modern media company yes, and we need to change with media. Yes. So what we've tried to do is uh, do that thesis of today team and tomorrow team yes. as the culture, which is why values of tenacity, ingenuity and velocity is about that. And yes. every day we're looking at our, our legacy consistent business and looking at the new ones. Like um, Sheen are probably a today and tomorrow team because they're doing both like it must i I know you've probably fixed on that but it it must like is it not the ideal thing to be able to um recognize have the brain power or whatever to go okay i'm selling hot dogs today but listen to the customers and provide that feedback to sell them 
cappuccinos tomorrow if you wanted to do that. Yeah, you see, the thing is, you're still talking within the same structure. Okay. Like if if a plane was only talking about traveling within the pilots and airports, yes, yeah, you can continuously innovate there. Yeah, but not disrupt. Okay, fair. So uh, let me ask you this: Have you ever seen a disruption from within an industry? You don't. You always see it from the outside of the industry coming into the industry. There's a great saying. It says, you can't read the label of the bottle from inside the bottle, no matter how good you are. Disruption always comes from the outside. Maybe, so, but look at, like, Apple kind of continually innovates. They've got tomorrow teams okay. all over the place. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Apple's a great example. Fine. They have tomorrow teams, <laughs> and so does Amazon. Yeah. They're continuously funding tomorrow teams. Okay. And fine. so other businesses, don't, Google's got even a day after tomorrow team. It's called the moonshot business. Yeah, fair enough. And okay. so you, you understand that it. they are, they are funding major businesses behind the scenes. Ford has got a tomorrow team. Toyota's got a tomorrow team. They don't work in the existing business. Would you call like a sports club that has an academy a tomorrow team? I would understand. I need to understand more there, but, but me, you, I mean, uh, you know, if you have, for example, does a tomorrow team need to be, um, can it be nurturing youth and nurturing the next talent to create the new thing? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They could be. But again, what would be the future of sports then? That's the question you have okay, to ask. Fine. Yeah, Bigger you see that? Then you, you're making existing cricket players better rather than thinking about electronic crickets played. I don't know. I mean, okay. I don't know what, the, I have to look at the sector specifically, but if you think about consumerism, for example, right? We want to make, we have B2, B2C, B2B, and then B2H, you know, B2H, business to human. And now you have B2A. Do you know what B2A is? Business to avatar. Okay. So now, I mean, so Zara is not thinking of business to A because they're so focused on making their existing business better. So I'm not going to take anything away that the fact that you are innovative because you are, you've created a business, great business here, but you already have legacy thinking yeah, without definitely. even realizing it. And so do I, we all do. It's just human nature, right? Yeah. And so let's just define innovation and disruption very quickly. Innovation is doing what you've always done just a bit better. Incrementally improving your business. Gillette went through a process of making a blade with one blade, two blade, three blade, four blade, five blade, six blade, lost $8 billion in 2019. Why? They outpriced themselves at the market. Mm. At the very same time that they lost $8 billion, the $1 Shave Club got sold for a billion dollars using a brand new business model of $1 a month subscription will send you one blade shaver to your house. Why didn't Gillette come up with that? Because mm. we're so focused on the internal innovation. So what is disruption? Disruption is making your current business model obsolete to create a new business model. It goes against your grain to create an obsolete of your existing business model because you're trying to create a business that's profitable. So what I always suggest, no matter how big or how small your business is, if it's big, build a tomorrow team. If it's small, just continuously expose yourself for what's happening tomorrow mm. with consultants, with thought leaders that come and help you and guide you. Okay. I wanted to, we, we do need to get into the future, but just before we get yes. there, um, and we were already there, but before we go into further, uh, so, you know, your work at the moment, uh, you know, how much of it is like with the books, how much of it is with consulting? Um, what's your sort of day to day look like? And, uh, you know, how have you, how have you got, come to Dubai? When did you come to Dubai and how do you find doing that work here? I've arrived at Dubai about six months before COVID happened. And then when COVID happened, I decided to go and be with my parents um, because we didn't know how, I don't know who was going to live and not live. And so that was a priority, but I've come back as soon as the borders opened in January, I was back in Dubai. Dubai for me is a very exciting place because I wrote a chapter in my latest book called Breathing of Empires. 
and many empires around the world have peaked. The American empire is imploding in front of our eyes. There seems to be three or four places in the world that are moving towards the future with excitement. Mm. China, UAE, Saudi, mm. and maybe India on the next phase of yeah. this. Amazing. Europe peaked hundreds of years ago. America's peak is going now. And so many places peaked like hundreds, if not decades ago. Yeah. And so for me, Dubai is very much poised to be the next New York. And so I want to be a part of that. Unexplained, yeah. Yeah. And so these three places are breathing in where everywhere else is breathing out. And so this is very exciting for me. So my day-to-day -day is about research. It's about dealing with clients, briefs, understanding what they need, uh, building new talks, building new books, building new strategy sessions, doing strategy sessions, talks, writing books is a continuous process. Mm. And it's all symbiotic because everything feeds into everything else. So my, my, my overall um, day and weeks are about research and storytelling. Do you, do, do you work with executive coaching? Do you help... CEOs understand how to navigate businesses as well? No, I don't like the one-on-one -on -one space. Okay. It's just my own personality. I know some people are very good at it and I'm sure I'll be good at it. I just, it's not where I want to play. I want to play on a strategic level with groups of people. Yeah. Specifically, um, optimistic executive teams really mm. excite me because they've got money, they've been successful and they want to become even more successful and add more value. That's my perfect type of client. And have you found people of that level of thinking in since you came to the UAE, has it lived up to your expectations? Oh, absolutely. I Amazing. mean, everybody wants to develop something for the future, you know, nobody's, and also the thing is Dubai is an expensive place to live. You have to be hustling and you have to be thinking about the future and adding value. So it's a perfect uh, sort of uh, uh, synergy mm. between the work I do. And that's why I've chosen to live here. And, you know, let, let's get into the future. Nice segue before we talk about work and, um, and education. Uh, if you were to put your, prediction hat on and we look back in 100 years or 500 years um do you think you know usually fr phrase this question of do you think the middle east as an emerging market will emerge but in the context of empires maybe macro looking um you know do you think that people will look back at this time and reflect on the excitement that you experienced but also say that oh, something actually amazing happened there and you know society moved on society evolved like technology evolved and and uh, there will be a positive view of what's happening here look i think people can choose to see this positively or negatively okay i'm always an optimist and if you think about what dubai is doing it's bringing diversity and diversity is powerful whereas pretty much all other countries are very monologue or monotone in how they think. And it's the diversity that brings about innovation and collaboration and excitement. So mm. yes, absolutely. An incredibly exciting time that we're living in through right now in Dubai with so much energy and focus on the future. Mm. And many people are reeling from what has happened through COVID. Dubai has just sprung forward. In fact, it's been the best thing for Dubai because it stayed open. It invited more people in. So I think it's a very exciting time to be here. But as far as the future is concerned, and if that's one of your questions is, we have to see the demise of the old world. We have to see the implosion of the old structures. There's a book called The Fourth Turning. I don't know if you know it, but I highly recommend it because it explains very clearly that what we're going through right now is the collapse of the old world. And every 80 years, we go through a cycle. And we have been through hundreds of years. And we haven't really known about them. But this book explains that the last time an 80-year cycle ended was 1946 with World War II. 
And what happened in the 20 years leading up to 1946 was we had fascism, we had political divide, we had job losses, we had financial crises, and we had war. Sound familiar? We're in the exact same boat again today. And so here we are where every structure built up from 80 years ago as the dollar exchange, the United Nations, the educational systems, um, those structures are imploding right in front of our eyes right now. So now crypto is arriving and people are going, oh, no, it's rubbish. Yes, uh, people said that about the dollar when it became the global currency. And they're like, now we accepted it. And so we're starting to see that A new world is being birthed in pockets, but most of the world is reeling from a crisis of meaning because everything that you once trusted implicitly is falling away. Mm. Education used to guarantee you something. It doesn't guarantee you anything anymore. The patriarchy used to stand for something. It's now falling apart. The idea of religion, even to a certain extent, in many parts of the world, the fastest growing religion in the world is no religion. Mm. Uh, Politics, we don't trust politics. We don't trust, all of these things that we once trusted, our parents implicitly trusted politics, you know? We don't anymore. So the future is really about firstly coming to acceptance that the world is imploding around us for a reason. And we have to become okay with that. And then for us to become part and parcel of the Renaissance, the spring and the new 20 year cycle that comes post this sort of fourth turning. And in the book, they talk about four turnings, first turning, second turning, third turning and fourth turning, very similar to our seasons: spring, summer, autumn and winter. We're in winter where everything dies and we have to be okay with that. So the future is really about being okay with where we are right now, accepting that many of your skills and identity might not be worth anything moving into the next phase of our humanity, and then starting to skill ourselves up and to see how we add value in this new world, which will be very, very different to the world we come from. Brilliant. Explain how education is imploding. Right. Yeah. So if you remember when we were kids, you were exposed to a few careers that you could choose from. You know, you could be a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, or a failure. I mean, there weren't really many options, you know? So you used to go to university to fit in to one of those perspectives. Today, those perspectives, those jobs are commoditized. You don't want to be an accountant? Don't worry, move out the way. There's 15 people are behind you. Plus there's automation now that is, takes half your job away. So everything that we once studied, that we did as a society to fit into the structures that society built for us, I become commoditized because what is automation? Automation looks for pattern recognition and pattern repetition. What do we study at university? Pattern recognition and pattern repetition. And so education itself is being commoditized. Education itself is being automated away from us. Hmm. So now what's starting to happen is fitting in doesn't pay you anymore. Fitting out now starts to make much more sense. And so what is fitting out? Fitting out is trying to access your genius, your curiosity, and your excitement because you start to understand that AI is replacing intelligence, just like factories replaced our bodies over the Industrial Revolution. Let me backtrack a bit and give you some context. For hundreds of years in the agricultural times, our bodies were our most important asset. It gave us the opportunity to work the fields for 16 hours a day and feed ourselves and our family and take something to the market to trade. When the Industrial Revolution arrived, our bodies got replaced by factories. We couldn't compete. And, you know, you're, you you come from the United Kingdom. The Luddites wanted to break down all the factories and the tractors that were taking their jobs away. 
But obviously that wasn't going to stop because the technology moves forward whether you like it or not. Here we are today with AI replacing our intelligence because intelligence became the skill set over the industrial revolution that we needed to learn. We only started learning those educational topics over the industrial revolution because we needed production lines to be as efficient as possible. So what did we do? We learned logical, left-brain, outcome-based thinking that brought about economies of sale and efficiency. Mm. Now, quantum, the arrival of quantum makes AI and data and blockchain replace all of those intelligence that we learned throughout our educational systems. And so now we have to develop a new skill, just like agricultural people had to develop IQ, we now have to develop something called intuition, curiosity, and fascination. Mm. And so now what we're starting to see is the passion economy or the creator economy worth $8 billion so far and growing exponentially. And people call them influencers and many influencers are useless. They don't add much value, but you have these very unique souls around the world that in their own capacity, in one man shows, one woman shows, are having huge impact onto the world. Mm. Remember when you used to have to hold, build a whole business brick and mortar? Shopify. You can build a whole business by yourself in, the, in your back garden, your back bedroom, build a whole business. This is a one-man process. Now, when we start accessing our genius, here's the magic. Nobody else has your genius. Nobody else has your invisible dots that it connects. And we are so bored of the same. We want unique. Why do we go to restaurants that are so unique? Because the chef has accessed his genius or her genius and is adding a totally new experience for us. Mm. Now, this will start to pervade across all sectors because everything is becoming commoditized. And what happens when technology takes hold of a sector? It goes through a process of dematerialization, demonetization, and total disruption. Think about communication. Think about music. Think about entertainment. Think about education. All of these have become almost free. What does total disruption of the current education model look like? It doesn't make sense to go through a process of paying money to be educated for a job that's not guaranteed anymore. University, I get that. Yeah, and what about what about and, but so what's the what's the day in a life of a child yes a very good question because right now we're in a transition phase and it's very tough because parents know that what the kid's learning is not relevant yeah. but they can't take them out to school because like <laughs> in some but countries you, you go to jail yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly so a couple things and i always like this question comes up at every talk that i give and so there's a couple things that i suggest you do one Expose your child to as many different businesses, startups, careers, people as possible. Because in that process, your child figures out what they like and don't like. Make them curious. Make them curious. The second question, I mean, the second point is get them to ask as many questions as possible so that they themselves start to figure out what they are here for. Remember that schooling never asked you ask too many questions that were out of the curriculum. They wanted you to ask questions that were within the curriculum. Mm. So exposure and curiosity allows your child to figure out what they are going to be good at. And in that same process, help them with technology to understand how they can utilize technology to bolster and catalyze their own genius. Mm. Now, a lot of people say, my kids spend too much time on social media. And maybe that's true. But have you thought about helping them understand how to set up a business online? Mm. Or maybe use Instagram as a business and a way to share their curiosity and make money out of it? And so most parents don't know how that works. So what they do is they blanket all of social media as a waste of time. And I think that's a mistake because parents don't have the understanding of that world. But fair enough. And I agree. And I'm not a parent, but you can also understand their, um, 
they're uh, you know not willing to totally embrace it because there are harms and ills, especially children in the online world and environments. So they do need to be protected. No, no, I'm not saying don't be, but to yeah. make a blanket statement that True. all of it's a waste of time and not actually taking the time to help their kids build businesses online. And because the parents don't know how to do it, they're like, no, no, all of it is. But there's kids out there making incredible amounts of money in doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things online. So for me, it's about utilizing technology because it is a neutral tool and the way we perceive it and work with it actually is the way it reacts to us. Mm. And so for me, it's about being exposed to as much as possible, asking as many questions as possible and understanding how technology can help us catalyze ourselves so, into the future. So when you heard something like we, we work and when Adam Newman was still there and, you know, I know it's like Geisty now with, with a new show that we crash, but he talked of this, he talked of the we company and education for the future, living for the future, work for the future. And we get to that. When you heard some of those ideas about a new type of schooling, did you think that that was the right path to go down to disrupt the old education model? I don't think any Anybody has the clear answer right now, and I'll tell you why, is that nobody knows what the future is. So how do you educate yourself for what you don't know, right? Because it's so unknown. Do you study AI? Do you study blockchain? Do you study crypto? We don't know if any of these are going to be actual absolutes, whereas we knew for 200 years that an accountant and a lawyer and a doctor would be necessary. Yeah. So because we don't know exactly what the future looks like, how you don't know what to study, the most important thing to do is how to become somebody that's adaptable, flexible, and curious. Because as the world changes, you need to be adaptable and curious, not stuck to a certain type of thinking. But companies who are in the ed tech space- Yes. Are they disrupting education? And if they are, are they creating education for the future? I think it's too much of a broad question because there's all sorts of types okay, what of about education. Online learning and digital learning. Boring. And, okay. Why? Boring. Because who, I mean, can anybody put their hand up and say, I love online learning? No. Nobody. <laughs> and you know, have you seen the stats of people that buy courses and don't finish them? It's like 95%. Yeah. Have you seen the share price of Udemy? down in the toilet. Yeah. But this is what it is, is that we have taken an existing on uh, off offsite or offline thing and we just put it online. This is called innovation. We just did what we did last year. We're just doing it a bit better. It's not adding the value that we wanted to add anymore. And as human beings, we bored to death with this two-dimensional teaching process. What about learning in the metaverse? I think that adds more engagement and more- Less um, boring. Yeah, less boring because we want all our senses, you know, uh, engaged with. And we're seeing a lot of education start to happen with virtual reality and the metaverse. And again, but the metaverse is early, early, early. We're still very far from what it's going to become, uh, which is going to be an integration of reality with digital. And okay. that's really where we're moving towards. Augmented you know? as well. Aug yeah. yeah, it's called mixed reality, right? Uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, and diminished reality. I don't know if you know what diminished reality no. is, is if you don't want to see something ever, you can just press a button and never see something. So Brilliant. don't choose cars because they'll hit you and they'll hit you <laughs> and, and kill you. But <laughs> diminished reality is also part of mixed reality. Yeah. So look, I think the thing is, is that nobody has an answer mm. because so much is changing and so much is up in the air. Mm. So we mustn't always be looking for solutions. We must be looking to look to become more adaptable okay. and become okay with what's happening and actually engage with it in a more exciting way rather than being addicted to certainty, which is what our society is. We all were addicted. We want to know absolutely what should we be studying, when we should be doing it. And my answer to that is we don't know. Nobody knows. Stop asking the questions. Ask the question of how do I become more adaptable and optimistic? Okay, That's brilliant. the question we need to be asking. It's brilliant. So one of the, uh, one of the team here yesterday it's often brought up this work from home thing. And I'm 
technically against it because we're a lateral thinking company where, you know, we're always looking for solutions. And also, um, we don't have a really brilliant onboarding training system for everyone. So I feel like it's great if people are working amongst each other so they can learn from each other and we can share ideas, journalism and all that. Um, yes, I'm told that I need to be flexible and I'm told, look what Airbnb do. And I say, well, they have to do that because working from home means I can work from an Airbnb when I'm on holiday or whatever. And it's part of their sharing economy is part of the thing. But, you know, wh- so where do you see the future of work? Is it is it black or white? Is it in the office? Is it remote? Or, you know, how should people be em- uh, embracing the change around the future of work? Again, it's such a broad topic. And I watched Satya Nadal from Microsoft talk about the fact that they need to localize the rules around work based on your team. It's like some people need certain things and other people don't. I think what has happened with COVID is that we become more humanistic towards what human needs are. So in other words, if your business requires people to be together to come up with great ideas, that's awesome. But if she needs to go and see her kid play, like be a ballerina at three o'clock, that should be okay as well. Mm. And I think that's the thing here is that it needs to be as localized and personalized as possible so that everybody feels like they've been seen, heard, and been given the time to do the things that are important. And I think that maybe before COVID, it was, there was no question of that. And now there needs to be a more symbiotic relationship between having the opportunity to do the things that really matter to you and your family structures, as well as then play along the rules of what your organizational business requires. So I don't think there's one rule and I don't think there should be one rule. I think it should be a very flexible uh, process and also something that prioritizes the opportunity for us to connect um, with each other as well as with our family and things that are important. John, that's been fascinating. I've learned a lot. I'm sorry for the broad question, but we had to squeeze in the work question at the end. Sure. We've run out of time. It's been a pleasure listening to you. And if people want to, you know, read your books or how do they get in touch? How do they find you online? So seven and a half billion people in the world. And somehow there's only one John Simon. <laughs> really? Lucky stars. <laughs> that's incredible. So it's incredible. It? <laughs> it really is incredible. So yeah. John Sane across S-A-N- all social, S-A-N-E-I yeah. across all social channels. I'm always sharing my latest research and my journey. So please join me there. Lovely to have you there. Okay, don't name your son, John. (laughs) No, I won't. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks for talking just this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was a fascinating conversation. You can tell on the structure of Dubai Works that we try and give as much context in the first 15, 20 minutes before we go into industry. And in this case, we didn't have a lot of time to talk about many of the topics we wanted to, such as work and and education, because as John mentioned, they're quite broad, but you can get a flavor of what he's about. And I'm sure there's a lot more material in his books around these topics. Uh, There's a bigger team to thank this week. Uh, Richie, who's filling in for... Ali, who's he's been managing all the, all the uh, video and the production side of things. Vishnu, our intern, has been helping out with audio. So if the audio is better this week, thank you, Vishnu. And Shahir Al Kindi, our producer, presenter, and show booker, have put this podcast together. So thank you, all of you guys. Uh, if you're listening on any of the podcasts uh, on Podio, uh, Apple. Uh, Angami or Spotify, please do share it. 
Um, if it's on Apple, please do like, subscribe and leave a comment, leave a review. Uh, let us know as usual on any of the Smashy TV social media handles or hello at smashy.tv. Any guests or recommendations that you would like coming up in the future. Uh, we go live every Friday at 11am and uh, we've got you know the next 8 or 10 weeks kind of block booked as usual. Um, but we're always looking for new guests. Um, and of course, please do check out the other shows. Now we're streaming uh, Business is Personal with Dr. Chloe Block. We're streaming uh, the conversations with Lulu, with Lulu Kazem on uh, Smashy as original shows. And we also got our Tech Bellarabi and our Smashy Crypto and other shows on Smashy app uh, or Smart TVs as well. Uh, thanks a lot for listening and see you next week. <laughs>